You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. If you would, just we'll go ahead and get to the text. Stand and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and then we will start in verse number 10. So when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll begin in verse number 10. All right, if you're looking this way, you got it. We'll be start reading. It says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Thank you. You all may be seated. So, if I could give just a little bit of an introduction tonight. You know, when reading your Bible, the more you understand the writings of the New Testament and come to those. And I think the more some of you would agree that as you go through reading your Bible, when you read about the Corinthians, you can't help but shake your head a little bit inside and just go... So one of my favorite things about pastor's sermons on Sunday mornings is that when he's talking about family traits in the series that he's going through, uh, he usually makes a reference to his children, notably his son, Jace. If you know anything about the kid, then uh, he really is his father's son, simply without a filter and the size of a Keebler elf. And I'm not a dad, but at least having been on the son end of the spectrum, I'm sure that many of you dads in here have had at least one or two two of these types of moments where your son does something awesome or totally unexpected that you would not expect a child to be normally capable of doing. You just jump up and you're like, that's my boy. And then you also have those other moments where you're at some sort of social gathering or activity and then you hear that loud crash and then the whoop that's soon to follow and then when people are looking around like, what's that? You have to go with that. That's my boy. So, you know, usually after that, it's kind of followed by what are you doing? And really, that's kind of lighter in nature than Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, but I would say that's pretty close. See, Paul, he even tells himself, tells us in Corinthians at the beginning of chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, I, And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And there were a church that Paul himself had started, so in a sense, they were like his spiritual children to nurture in the faith, but they were like spoiled, rotten, rambunctious little children. (laughs) And so there were numerous of these what-are-you-doing moments between Paul and the Corinthian church. I mean, when you take a closer look at these people, it's not very hard to see that they had problems with absolutely everything. They're the people that you look at and you want them to do well as fellow believers, but it seems that the only way that the word of God is going to stick is if you bludgeon them with it over the head repeatedly until they experience that whole different meaning to being slain in the spirit. So there's a reason a lot of Baptist preachers today have a tendency to go bald, that being those few people just like this who don't seem to get it and makes the preacher pull every last bit of hair he has out after he's bludgeoned them over the head over and over and over again. But seriously, Paul had a whole church full of these types 
of people, and they, they never did seem to get it right. We can tell by evidence in chapter 5 where he says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, which is a bit of a longer one that I'm actually not going to quote, that Paul, over the course of his ministry, wrote to the church at Corinth at least four separate times that we're aware of. And there's no extant copies found of the other two, but they're both referenced specifically in the two letters that God did decide that we should have. And so, again, to give you a little bit of an overview, first I'd like to give you a list of some of the things that Paul had to wrestle with this church over, and bear in mind that this is one of the other early churches, which I think goes to show then that going to church alone isn't enough to make you spiritual. But the Corinthians, again, had a slew of issues. They, first off, were dividing themselves and factionalizing behind specific leaders, claiming that they were followers of specific leaders in the day. Once Some said, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, or Peter, and I have Christ, although likely not in the correct sense. Paul had to remind them that they were all under Christ because Christ is not divided, nor were any of the other names the ones by which they were you know, saved and baptized. Neither did the church and ministry belong to anyone else other than he who established it himself, Jesus Christ. They also had issues with people trying to flaunt their spiritual gifts over one another. It often created confusion during their services, and it uh, was affecting their testimony with the, the pagan Gentiles that were still in their city. Uh, they had people treating the Lord's Supper like a Sunday night potluck just for eating food, and then it, even then it was kind of like an every man for himself kind of mentality. Um, the men were not properly assuming roles they were designed to have based upon God's established authoritative structure, and that also then led to the women taking up and assuming roles that were not designed for them to have. Uh, there was not simply secret sin as well, but there was rather open fornication in the church that had not been dealt with at all, which had tremendous potential to taint the ministry that they had there. And then they also had issues with disunity in the church. There were a whole slew of problems concerning doctrinal discrepancies, some about the resurrection of Christ, some over eating meat offered to idols, and some who put certain days above other ones. And there were those who even continued participating in the pagan practices that they were saved out of. I really could go on for the rest of the evening with all the problems that this particular church had, but that's not the intended purpose of this message. In fact, I want to take some time to thank the Lord that Eastside Baptist Church is not a Corinthian church. Um, granted, I don't sit in pastor's office and see all the things that go on behind the scenes. I don't know absolutely everything that goes on, but I will say that pastor still has his hair, so I think we're doing all right so far. <laughs> No, but seriously, I've only been here for a little less than two months, and speaking quite honestly, it didn't take all that much time, well, really, any longer than getting out of my truck for the first time in the parking lot to know that this place is a, is a special place, um, even though it took me a little bit to get to know some of your names, and granted, that's still kind of a work in progress. I can say both for Curtis and I that our transition to becoming a part of this church seemed to require almost little to no effort just because of the spirit here and how welcoming people are, and just I want to let you know how much I appreciate that. Um, the downside of serving an internship here is in the future when God decides to call me elsewhere. It's going to be hard for me not to say, yeah, it's great here, it's not east side, you know? <laughs> but the point that I'm getting at that I want you to establish is I'm not talking to a Corinthian church right now, you know? So what are we looking at then? Well, if we look at our passage again, we'll read verse 10 again, and it says, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So first, again, I'd like to take some time to point out what Paul is trying to get at to the Corinthians here. We mentioned earlier that they had a slew of problems, but among that was going to be uh, doctrinal disputes as far as 
you know, who the leader was, the resurrection of Christ, uh, Christian liberty, and I'm sure many others that I'm not going to go into listing. The whole point, though, is that there were doctrinal issues in the Corinthian church, not just because they weren't listening to what Paul was teaching them, but rather because there were teachers in the church who were instructing believers contrary to Paul and to each other. And this was a huge problem in the, in the Corinthian church. And even in 2 Corinthians, Paul has to defend the validity of his own ministry as the man that started this church because some individuals came and were like, hey, looky here what we got. I don't think Paul has what we do. And, you know, he had to convince them that his, his ministry was valid when they should have known that from the beginning because he's the one who started that work. But again, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tonight, Paul tells them that his main focus was to establish in them the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's what he started the church for. And then when it came time to transition, another was supposed to build onto that foundation. Plain and simple, I have laid the foundation and another build it thereupon. He doesn't say any names in particular because it applies to all those who would be teachers. He warns them of false teachers and that on the day of judgment, these teachers will inevitably see the result of the work they did that will either stand under fire or be consumed. Now I can kind of see y'all looking at me like, well, what are you trying to say now? You know, there's dirt hitting the back of your head at this point. So um, again, I'm trying to say absolutely nothing, actually. Um, I know that Brother Spencer was here for many years and he labored and toiled to establish this church in the foundation of Jesus Christ. And now we have Pastor Jet, whose responsibility is to build on that foundation and establish something that's going to stand um, fast and sure for the glory of Christ. And I just want to say again, thank the Lord for our pastor. Um, there's a, there are very few men in this world, I think, um, who that I know personally would exceed his zeal that he has, not only for preaching the word of God, but making sure that his congregation is hearing the truth. Um, he spends, I don't know how many hours in a combination of diligent study and, and fervent prayer. I mean, I go into his office all the time and that he's studying. He's studying to make sure that he has something to give to each and every one of you each time these doors are open. And so, again, thank the Lord for our pastor. And so, although I wouldn't say that these are probably his life verses, I would say that the verses tonight are our pastor's life. His desire is to build this church with timeless truths that are going to endure until the Lord returns I think that would accurately, excuse me, accurately reflect all of the teachers in here that are in charge of a class. Um, Brother Heath has been a huge blessing to watch as I've been here. He's allowed me to work with the youth several times. But, you know, in spite of the limited time that he has, working a full-time job and trying to provide for a family, um, he doesn't just throw lessons together. I've seen that. He's very diligent in making sure that he has something to, to give to teenagers of substance that they're hearing the truth and that they're grounded so that way whenever they grow up and their relationship with God no longer becomes something that they're kind of feeding off of their parents, it becomes their own. He's making sure that they are equipped with the truth necessary to prevent them to becoming casualties. And it, it's been a blessing and encouraging to watch for sure. That's his heart. I think the same could even be said of Brother Chad. He runs a restaurant in Brookings, which is an hour away, yet he's still faithful to be here in church right now. And uh, he's, in addition, he adds to the... He, uh, you know, is faithful to preach in the pulpit every time he's asked to do it, in addition to teaching a class uh, of his own. So we're not talking about false teachers or doctrine tonight either. So if I may, again, I'd like to direct your attention back to verse 10, but to the very last phrase, what we're going to be focusing on tonight is where it says, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So 
even though the, the passage may have referred to, to other teachers when Paul says, and another buildeth thereon, if he just wanted the teachers themselves to take heed, uh, the following phrase probably would have sounded more like, but let that man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. But as we can see, it says, every man, which would seem to me, having passed fourth grade, that that's an all-encompassing term. That's it's everybody, every man. So it's not just Paul laying the foundation, only the teachers building upon it. The Corinthians themselves then have a part in building upon their foundation. Just like it's not just Brother Spencer who laid a foundation and therefore it is now Pastor Jet's responsibility to build on the foundation. No, each and every member of Eastside Baptist Church is responsible for taking heed to what they're putting up on this foundation. So, and it's not even really just for the church as itself that applies to our own spiritual lives. Are you... Are you taking heed to what you're putting on your foundation? And really, the question I want to ask you tonight is, if you were to assess the foundation of your life tonight, what would you say you've been building on it? See, I heard a message preached out of this passage uh, earlier in life, and this, you know, it made this point that it really shifted my entire thinking about my Christian walk, and I hope to share uh, a similar truth tonight with you. I think as believers, I'd say it's a common thing among Christians to... Hope for that day when we're all going to be with the Lord, whether that's through death or the rapture. And we know that this life is but a vapor that vanisheth away, I think as it says in, in James, just as quickly as it appears. But after that, those of us who stand as God's redeemed will spend forever in heaven with him for all of eternity. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, but after that, we know that, we, well, we know that in general when people die, there's going to be a judgment. In Hebrews chapter 9, 27, the Bible, the Bible very plainly says, and as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment, it's man, using the term as in mankind. So again, an all-encompassing parameter that includes believers and unbelievers alike. And we know that by Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, that those who die without knowing Christ will be judged according to their works at the great white throne judgment, is what we've come to coined it as, uh, by rejecting redemption through the gift of salvation, these individuals will be judged based on whether or not their works have met God's standard of righteousness. Uh, by both the law written in his word and then by the law, as in Romans chapter 2, that was written in their hearts. You know, everyone has a conscience. They know what's right and wrong. You don't have to be taught that. And so works of righteousness don't stand without a sure foundation. Even structures built with the best materials aren't going to hold up if there's a weak foundation or no foundation at all. Um, nothing's going to pass through this judgment because nothing built off of the foundation of Jesus Christ can stand any sort of trial and hope to be acceptable. Uh, similarly, uh, those who are among the redeemed who have accepted Christ as their Savior are actually going to undergo a similar judgment. That judgment is going to be based off of what we do. Now, that is not going to determine whether or not we enter into heaven. We know that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ and through the grace of God we are now reconciled to him. So this judgment isn't going to be based upon whether or not we enter heaven, but rather it's, it's the trying of our works. It's to distinguish between the life lived for God and the life that's been squandered. And this, the Bible calls this the judgment seat of Christ, and it's referred to by name in two passages, both in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, and then in the other epistle to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And actually, I'll quote that right now. It says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So, even in a later epistle to the same church at Corinth, 
Uh, we can clearly see there's going to be a judgment for believers that's going to take place standing before Christ, giving account for everything that we do while we're still here. And I don't think then it would be that much of a stretch to say that um, the process of that judgment will very likely then resemble that which we just read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. See, as, a, as a saved, born-again Christian, we've received the necessary foundation for building our lives upon by accepting Jesus Christ. It's at this point that our works actually now have substance. They can stand on something. They mean something. Um, the works which we do here constitute the building materials that we then place on this foundation. Our works, as it says um, in verse number 13, it says, will be made manifest. It will materialize. It'll be tangible. We can see it. Um, in verse number 12, it says that we're going to build on this foundation either gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. And not the kind of stubble that grows on Curtis's face when he forgets to shave, but rather like stalks, straw. So, simply observing, we can see that the building materials for our lives consist essentially of your flammables and your non-flammables. And so we use the term flammable, obviously, because the Bible says in verse number 13, it's going to be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So, our works are tried by fire, and then we're going to be rewarded based on what remains. So, again, what constitutes something being flammable and non-flammable? I'm not a chemistry teacher, but I'm going to hopefully try to distinguish those for you. Given the nature of the materials given, I think it's clear to discern. Uh, if we took a moment and looked at our flammables, we have wood, hay, and stubble, uh, we can easily look at these and recognize that these are objects that burn easily. And, but I'd like to mention also, you know, without, even without fire, their natural qualities are that of something that's temporal. Over time, regardless of whether you burn these or not, these are going to decay. I mean, just by their very nature, they're temporal. They're not going to, to, to stand. They're not going to last. So these could be, you know, these as if we're applying this to our, our daily lives or what this would look like in the life of a Christian, these are going to be things like, like our job or career. And they're not essentially positive or negative. It doesn't necessarily imply that these things are negative. They're just things that don't last um, these could be your job and career, the things you do. And again, I'm not undermining the importance of these things, um, but they just, they're not going to matter in eternity. God's not going to get to heaven and, and, and tell you, well, were you, were you good at your job? Did you maintain a good testimony at your job? I'm sure that he would ask you that question. But as far as, you know, were you good at your job? Were you skilled at what you did? That, I don't see that mattering quite as much. You don't, you don't take your job with you. There's, there's different things that you do that you just, you don't take those with you. Um, I think inevitably most of us are probably going to have quite a stack of wood of things that we did that could, again, be a combination of things that are good or bad. And then we have our hay and stubble and our straw. They're the little guys that kind of fit in the cracks there. Uh, these are probably a little more negative in their nature um, because they don't have much value even as a temporal substance. Uh, these are your idle words and thoughts that perhaps just kind of went unchecked. The, the little bits of time that you wasted... Um, hobbies and interests that got in the way of your ministry. I mean, little things, again, little things that you do that kind of waste your time. And it doesn't seem like all that much. You got your little straw that's like maybe that wide. But as you kind of collect those, eventually that'll build up over time. So, uh, and then you add all those up, you throw them onto a flame and they're all gone. So uh, I want to point out that, again, we're not condemned simply by the presence of these other materials. Um, I think because of that, the fact that we're human, it's going to be inevitable that we'll have a considerable amount of these things simply because our biggest priorities are going to be our non-flammables, but there's things that we have to take care of. 
But our other category that we have consists of our materials of gold, silver, and precious stones. Now these are materials that last on the other side of the fire. And he's gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna burn, but then they're gonna remain. Your wood, hay, and stubble are all gonna be turned to ash, and these are what's, this is what you're gonna be left with. If you looked at these things too, you'll notice that even their natural qualities, in the absence of fire, these things don't naturally just kind of break down and deteriorate. Um, you can leave it out, you can leave anything. You can leave gold, silver, or a, or a gem out in the cold rain and the hot sun for as long as you want, and I would say for the most part, maybe a little mild tarnishing, depending on whether or not it's finished or not, it's going to look more or less the same. Um, it doesn't change all that much, and there's even significance to these raw forms and that, that haven't been touched. Uh, they look kind of just like weird rocks. And uh, you don't find gold bricks from Fort Knox on the ground, you find ore. Uh, and the thing about ore that most of us would agree with is that at face value, ore is not that impressive. It just, again, looks like a weird rock. Um, but then, if you subject it to heat, uh, to a flame, it gets purged and tried and worked, and that's, that, at the end of that process, that's when you end up with that thing that we come to covet, that gold, that silver, those gems that we see. And I really think the same could be said for our works that make up these materials. See, we do have a responsibility to seek after things that we know, we know at face value that they're eternally lasting, such as being a faithful church member, uh, giving your tithes and offerings, uh, doing, maintaining a daily walk with the Lord, witnessing to people. Um, and would you believe it, the things that we know are worth it, and still we sometimes have difficulty maintaining those. I know I do, if I'm being honest with you. Um, in addition to that, then there's also things that don't appear to have evident value right away. You're going to be mocked and questioned for what you believe, no matter what you say. Um, people you come across may never see things the way that you do. Uh, the only thing that you then could do is maintain a good testimony. Um, you're, going to walk to, you're going to talk to someone who may inadvertently or deliberately throw your good intentions back in your face. Um, you may get an extremely negative reaction to trying to reach someone with the gospel that you know who needs it, and then they go off on you in a way that just discourages you. The child that you tried to raise to do right still strayed off of their own free will. Um, there's a bus kid whose home background you fear is going to cause them to fall away and become one of those casualties. And all of these things can happen too. And sometimes it feels like what we're left standing with is nothing but a bunch of rocks. And they, they don't look all that impressive. They don't feel all that impressive. And so you're stuck standing there, standing there and asking yourself, is this really worth it? Because it doesn't look like I have anything to show for it right now. Um, and sadly, again, some of us can be discouraged to the point that they give up building altogether and their pile at the end of their life is going to be turned into nothing but a bunch of burnable debris. But our encouragement here should be that the fire is going to determine what sort of work you've built and that fire is going to show you that some of the rocks you've picked up along the way may very well turn out to be gold, silver, or precious stone. And I think we should rest easy knowing that sometimes our, we shouldn't be weary in well-doing. The Bible says that and that should be an encouragement to you. So, bringing it back around, um, we're going to be tried. Every thought, every action, and every intent that we have is going to be subject to fire. Um, we're going to burn away the debris with fire, and then everything that lasts is going to remain. You're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ himself and manifest your life, and your hope should be that he finds something worthwhile. The quality of our Christian life will not only be seen by the fruit we can see here, but by our treasure up there. And then what remains after that, I don't even know if that's for us to keep. I think, personally, that we're going to give that back to the Lord for all the things that he's blessed us with. And, but really, I mean, if you think about it like that, would it not then be disappointing that if our lives, our lives, as we've built them, go up in a flash of smoke and 
You're standing there before the Lord and he stoops down and sifts his finger through the ash and he can't find anything. Our passage tells us that no matter what, we ourselves will be saved, yet so is by fire. Um, We had the perfect foundation to build on, yet we wasted ourselves heaping up the burnable debris because it was just too much effort to go through what it takes in order to receive what looks no different than a rock. And really, again, just imagine the disappointment of having to look in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that he did for you and come up empty-handed in light of the sacrifice that he gave. So if I may, again, I'd like to take it a little farther to paint a better picture and maybe bring it to more of an applicable point tonight. Um, It matters to God that as his child you have something to show for your life when you die. Uh, For our picture here, we have the image of gold, silver, and precious stones, but there's a phrase used by Pastor Wayne Hardy back in Stillwater, workers and I are from, that he always always says this, and it's the only thing around the throne in the end is going to be people. So if our gold, silver, and precious stones are then representative of our spiritual investment, and the thing that matters most to the Lord is people, how much more serious then become the consequences of not having anything to show for your life? See, you can imagine the gold and gems in your life were to represent the souls that you reach for Christ, then uh, perhaps for each handful of straws and sticks, that could have been one more precious stone. Uh, The opportunity that you had to work and dig in order to get one more gem to that pile, you decided that you were content with a handful of sticks. Uh, I would imagine that any of us had our arms full of debris and we saw a big old chunk of gold right on the ground beneath us. Um, it wouldn't matter where we throw it, just as long as we get it out of our hands so we can pick that thing up and take it to get cleaned up and go get rich. Um, here in America, we even had a huge movement of people that sold absolutely everything they had in their homes back east to risk everything to go out west to go and get some gold and hopefully make some returns. Some people succeeded and some didn't. But yet here, it would seem that all too often we're content to pass right on by the gold, silver, and precious stones all while holding our little handful of sticks. Now, again, I'm not saying that there's not times where we just don't have the opportunity to capitalize on everything that comes our way. But if I may be so bold to say that if you willingly neglect on an opportunity to reach out to someone then, then that makes you a robber. Um, You've robbed Jesus of the treasure that he wanted you to have And you've robbed someone of their opportunity to enjoy the eternity and opportunities you have by insisting that your handful of debris was more important at the time. Um, All the sticks burn up. Uh, So, again, there's a lot of applications that could be made tonight. Um, I know this this message took a while to get going. I kind of started it off a bit strange. But I trust that the point, I think, was fairly direct and easy to understand. Um, There's coming a day where everything you gave your life to building will be made manifest and tried by fire. The differences between what burns and what remains is as clear to see as straws and sticks versus precious stones and precious metals. Uh, Many things we give ourselves to won't last. It takes a bit of effort, again, to lay up the things that do. Uh, Imagine how much you stand to lose by not participating in sharing the gospel with people. We do have organized opportunities to do that, like Brother Ken said. uh, The college class and youth are also invited to come out Saturday mornings at 10. We'd absolutely love to have you. Uh, We have permission to use the church van, take you out, Go witnessing to people, knock on some doors, and invite people to church. Uh, We also have the same thing coming up tomorrow night, tomorrow night at 6.30, if you're available and you're not working. Um, It's a great opportunity to be a part of. Uh, We'll have maps printed out for you to go and take, and again, go go witness to people. Go share the gospel. Um, We don't have an invitation tonight, but uh, maybe sometime this evening after we pray or even after we dismiss, I want to challenge you to take some time maybe then to assess, you know, what have you been building on this foundation? If you subjected it to fire right now, is what's going to remain going to be worthwhile or 
are you not going to have anything to show for it? Um, it's just something that we all want to consider. And again, I want to thank you for this opportunity that you've given me to preach. I know that it's a bit short, but um, thank you very much. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.